Good morning. Good morning. I'm not sure a message is necessary after that. Um, thank you so much for your honesty. The message this morning is the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. <laughs> steadfast in shifting times. I'm going to start in a difficult place, but be patient. Okay. In 1964, Bob Dylan released an album with the title song, The Times They Are A-Changin'. <laughs> it was his attempt to create an anthem for the civil rights movement of the era. In Wikipedia, the critic Andy Gill points out that the song's lyrics echo lines from the book of Ecclesiastes, which Pete Seeger adapted to create his anthem, Turn, Turn, Turn. The climactic line about the first later being last is likewise a direct scriptural reference to Mark 10.31. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. On November 22, 1963, less than a month after Dylan recorded the song, President Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. The next night, Bob Dylan opened a concert with the song. And he told biographer Anthony Scaduto, Scaduto, strange name, I thought, wow, how can I open with this song? I'll get rocks thrown at me. But I had to sing it. My whole concert takes off from that point. I know I had no understanding of anything. Something had just gone haywire in the country and they were applauding this song. And I couldn't understand why they were clapping or why I even wrote the song. I couldn't understand anything. For me, it was just insane. This past week, we've come to a deeply sad realization that something again has gone haywire in our country. Our president and this administration have moved in an inexplicable, illogical, and irresponsible way to remove our military from the country of Afghanistan. While most of us understand the desire to leave, as we are all war-weary after 20 years of this conflict, the result of their fickle fashion frailty has created an instability that threatens the lives of Americans, Afghanis, and other international allies in the fight against Islamic terrorism worldwide. Thousands are trapped behind the Taliban checkpoint surrounding the Kabul International Airport, while U.S. military scrambles to provide safe passage on planes exiting the country. It's a humanitarian and military catastrophe, the likes of which our country has never experienced before. And it's just beginning. Add to this the challenges of COVID-19 breakthrough variants that are again forcing us to mask up to enter public places. Gas prices are over 40% higher than a year ago, and our government is now asking OPEC to raise their oil production capacity to meet the demand that we have after cutting the legs out from under our own energy industry and voluntarily surrendering our energy independence of a year ago. And OPEC said no. 
In addition to rising energy costs, the cost of food, clothing, building materials, almost everything else is also rising as our annual inflation rate has skyrocketed from 1.4% last year to 5.4% and climbing today. We continue to have violence in the streets of woke city of our major cities while police officers are physically attacked and verbally demeaned by woke city governments. Our southern border is open and difficult to supervise as non-documented peoples, many with the COVID virus, pour over and are relocated to communities across the, across the country, often in the middle of the night. The impact of uncontrolled migration will be felt for years to come, and our border towns are under siege. Couple this insecurity with the mounting threats of terrorists emboldened by the Afghanistan debacle, and it should give us all great concern. Christians around the world are under attack and are being martyred for their faith even as we worship together this morning. And in the midst of all this, some in the U.S. media publish articles and host TV shows comparing Christian believers to the Taliban. What a difference a year makes. The times, they are a-changing. In America, we as Christians do not face the threat of death that many of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are facing today. But we are rapidly being marginalized and discriminated against. The hatred for followers of Christ is on the rise. Francis Schaeffer, one of the great apologetic and theological minds of the last century, asked the poignant question, how should we then live? In his book of the same name concerning the rise and decline of Western thought and culture. These are perilous times and it does not appear that it will get better anytime soon. So how should we then live? Now that I have thoroughly depressed you with the condition of the world today, let me try to encourage us all with a message of hope that proclaims that Christ is Lord of all and in all. Jesus is the stability that we seek, the steadfastness that we're promised. The church today is being sifted as the world is being shifted. Are we true believers and followers willing to die for our faith? Or are we of those who began to follow and then fell away? Are we the good soil that the seed of God's word has fallen on and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance as we see in Luke 8.15? Or are we the rocky, thorny ground? G.K. Chesterton in his book, What's Wrong with the World, wrote in 1910, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. I'm sure this morning that we all desire to be the good ground that our Lord sows his word into. This should be our prayer this morning, among other requests. May the Lord sow the word of truth into honest and good hearts. And may we hold fast to it and bear fruit for him with perseverance during these perilous times. Lord, prepare us in perseverance for the harvest and for your triumphant return. 
The Lord revealed himself to Moses on the mountain in this way in Exodus 34, 6 through 7. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness or steadfast love and truth, who keeps steadfast love for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. This is the God we believe in and that we serve. He is abounding in steadfast love and truth or faithfulness. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, but the guilty will not go unpunished. Isaiah 33, 5 through 6 says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of our times. What a great word for today. A wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Christ is the stability of our times. We must have the discipline to fix our eyes firmly on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who endured suffering beyond imagination to bring peace beyond comprehension. As the song lyrics admonish us, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, And the things of this earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. In times like these, we need to get our heads and our hearts in the right place. We do not stick our heads in the sand. We must put them in the word. We do not not let our hearts be troubled. We believe in God. We believe also in Christ. It's human nature to see the world as it is and to worry. But it's our calling to see the world as God sees it and in submission to his will to become the agents of grace and mercy, compassion, kindness, goodness, and blessing to that needy and dying world in order to change it. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The gospel gives us the wisdom to see the world as it is and the power to impart change to it through the Lord who has overcome it. So how does the Christian this morning huddled in a secret house church in Afghanistan or Iraq or Iran or China or any of a dozen other places of difficulty around the world, how does that believer fight the fear of death and the terror of the Taliban and other pursuers or purveyors of evil. I do not in any way pretend to know or understand what they must be feeling and experiencing this morning. But I do know what the Lord has promised to them as he has also promised it to us. He has promised the grace and power they and we need to endure the testing of our faith by the power of and the truth revealed by his spirit. He has promised to be our good shepherd who cares for his sheep. He has promised to be our anchor in the storm. He has promised that he will be our stability 
in these times. The word that scripture uses to describe this kind of stability is steadfast or steadfastness. We do not become mature, complete, godly followers of Christ without steadfastness. But it's not a steadfastness that we draw from naturally or that we can summon up independently of Christ. Freedom from the fear of death is only attainable from the one who has conquered death. Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and King of kings, the one true Son of God, who in humility preferred the moniker Son of Man. He is the victor. He is the overcomer. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And with our sin, the fear of death. Let's look this morning at some scriptures that speak to the steadfastness of the Lord and the steadfast posture that he can bring to fruition in our lives if we allow him to do it. Let's begin with Colossians 1, verses 21 through 23. Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now we know that Paul was a man acquainted with difficulties. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28 chronicles the hardships, beaten times without number, often in death, in danger of death. Five times I received the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Paul knew suffering and hardship like no one else, but he was disciplined by that myriad of difficulties to learn and to walk in steadfastness and endurance. What motivated Paul to press on, to endure? Obviously, his personal encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus forever changed him. He was blind and Jesus made him to see. But I believe it was also Paul's God-breathed understanding of the deep, deep love of God and the powerful experience of new life in him that transformed him from a persecutor of Christ to a pursuer of Christ and a sacrificial servant of the Lord Jesus. 
Saul was a man immersed in the law. Paul was a man immersed in the blood, washed by the water of the word. He understood the victory over death that only Jesus could have achieved for him. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. Paul knew that Christ's suffering, his death, burial, and resurrection were the pivot point in history. History is indeed his story. We are reconciled by Christ's death and and we're regenerated by his resurrection to be presented to the Father, holy and blameless without reproach. O death, where is your sting? Therefore, because of this truth, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is the stability that the Lord wants to grow us into during these difficult times. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The gospel is to the world foolishness, But to those of us who believe, it is the power of God unto salvation. Knowing the gospel to be true and that the Lord is the stability of our times, will we find a way to communicate his light and life in these difficult times? Will we commit ourselves to a new front of boldness for Jesus? He who promised is faithful. Will we be faithful in our confession of hope without wavering. One of my favorite sayings related to faith in Christ is this, all that God is, is available to the man or woman that is available to all that God is. Do we really believe that God can work in us and through us to accomplish His will? Do we believe that? Are we steadfast? Or are we a little shaky? Immovable 
or jello? <laughs> Abounding or confounding? <laughs> His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance or steadfastness. And in your steadfastness, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Second Peter 1, 3 through 9. Are we short-sighted or are we, incre- are we increasing by discipline in moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love? We cannot do this in the flesh. This is only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit and the renewing of our minds by the washing of the water of the word. It's a work that only God does in us. The Greek word often used for steadfastness is hupomone. It means remaining under endurance, constantly, steadfastness. It's the characteristic of a man or woman who's not swerved from his or her deliberate purpose and their loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. It is a patient, steadfast, waiting for, a patient, enduring, sustaining, perseverance, hupomone. Are you feeling confident this morning in a godly patience? Do you sense a sufficient portion of God's godly steadiness? Hupomone, endurance, perseverance, steadfastness, is the ability to bear up under trial while patiently waiting. Romans 5, 3-5 says, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, or hupermone, steadfastness. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces hupomone, endurance, 
And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James 1, 2 through 4. I doubt there's any one of us here this morning that feels sufficiently adequate in this area of our lives. Because the more we grow and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, the more we understand our great need for Him and our great poverty apart from Him. Growing closer to Jesus brings a godly humility that makes us cry out for more of Him. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Paul experienced a thirst for God that was born in adversity and suffering, and it's only quenched in humility in the love of God. He encouraged and admonished the church of Thessalonica with these words in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. And listen to this. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. What a powerful prayer and admonition that is for us this morning. Well, the book of Hebrews gives a tremendous image of what steadfastness looks like. It's an anchor for our souls in steadfast hope. It says in Hebrews 6, 10 through 20, For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could bear by no bear witness by or swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. 
an ankle firm, firmly set will hold a ship from being lost in the storm and crashing onto the rocks. It is our hope in Christ that anchors our souls to endure, persevere, steadfastly waiting on the Lord's return for us, His bride. When our hope is securely anchored in the deep, deep love of God, our faith is immovable, our walk steadfast, our testimony sure, our confession without wavering. The size of the anchor you'll need is proportional to the size of the boat or ship. How big is your anchor? Are we kayaking in the kingdom? Paddling in safe waters near the shoreline? You only need a little anchor for that. Or have we purposed to board a vessel sufficient to take us into deep waters with an anchor that will hold when the storms come? Be steadfast, believer, when the waves begin to crash against you. Be immovable, church, as the waters of suffering and trials rise. Stay the course. Hold fast the faith. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Our anchor will hold. We can trust our lives to this anchor. He will not move. He will not give way. He will not waver in the waves. He will not quit. He will not desert us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. We can be steadfast because He is steadfast. We want to be more like Him. May the Lord direct our hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. In closing, let us also remember that there's joy in suffering. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that it produces steadfastness, endurance, patient waiting, because we know He is faithful. Sorrow may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. In 1882, Priscilla J. Owens wrote the hymn, We Have an Anchor. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife? When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Will your anchor hold in the straits of fear when the breakers roar and the reef is near? While the surges rage and the wild winds blow, shall the angry waves then your bark o'erflow? We have an anchor that keeps our soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Will your anchor hold in the floods of death when the waters cold chill your latest breath? On the rising tide you can never fail while your anchor holds within the veil. Will your eyes behold through the morning light the city of gold and the harbor bright? Will your anchor safe by the heavenly shore? Will you anchor safe by the heavenly shore when life's storms 
are passed forevermore. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in our Savior's love. Blessed is a man who perseveres steadfastness under trial. For once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James 1.12 Brothers and sisters, whatever lies ahead for us and for our brothers and sisters around the world in the faith, may we be found faithful, steadfast, holding fast the confession of our hope without wavering. How can we do this? Because He who promised is faithful. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that You have provided an anchor for us in Christ. And if we have tied up to that anchor, we are secure. I thank you, Lord, that you're you are steadfast, immovable, unchanging. May we be more like you. Pray for each of us this morning, Lord, that wherever we are, whatever we're struggling with, whatever we're dealing with, we would find hope in Your Word this morning and be touched by Your Spirit as a reminder that You love us with a deep, deep love and that You will never leave us nor forsake us. You are our rock. You are our refuge. You are our strength. There's none beside you. So Jesus, we run to you again this morning and we pray diligently this morning for brothers and sisters around the world that are clinging to their faith and their hope in you. I pray God that those that face martyrdom today, that Lord, you would either provide a way of escape or that you would supernaturally embolden them as you did Stephen. To endure, to be found faithful, to be steadfast. We thank you for your promises to us, Lord. We thank You that they are sure. They are true. We place our full weight of confidence in You, Lord Jesus. There's nothing that we can do to earn salvation, to warrant Your attention, but only because of Your great, great love that You demonstrated in Your Son. You have reconciled us to Yourself. And You've given us a new life through the Holy Spirit. And the work that You've begun in us, You will perfect it until the day You return for us. What amazing promises. 
What amazing grace. We're all humble. We're unworthy. But so deeply, deeply thankful, Lord Jesus, for your goodness to us today. As we fellowship around the meal, as we go into the week, Lord, direct our steps. I pray that we all might have the humility and the sincerity, the honesty that Jessica has shared with us this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in her heart and her life, a painful work, but a perfect work, a complete work, because you so deeply love her. So we give you thanks today for your concern for us, Lord, and we cast our cares on you because you're concerned for us. We give you thanks. Glorify yourself in us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.